Welcome, by the way, if you're joining us online or you're here in person, it's great to be here together. My name's Mike, I'm the vicar here. This is actually, do you know, this is my first sermon of 2023. I haven't been here, I haven't spoken here since the carol service, I don't think, so I'm kind of busting for this preach. I've been thinking about this one for quite some time, and it's good, but it's good. It's good to have the Bibles open together to check that what I'm saying is actually there. We were at, um, my wife and I were at Ely Cathedral yesterday, just north of Cambridge, and they have a massive pulpit there. It's an incredible cathedral, but the, uh, the pulpit, which kind of winds up into the side there, it's bigger than that one, has a huge um, statue of a crucified Christ behind and above the pulpit. You can actually see the scars and the hands and the side and the feet. And by it, there's a little plaque which um, draws on a verse that the Apostle Paul says in the Scriptures, I am going to preach Christ crucified. And that's it, as set forth in the Scriptures. And you can see the statue there, and all the congregation can see it, and they can check and go, is this person preaching Christ crucified as he's set forth in all the Scriptures? That's what we're trying to do. So if you have the Bible open, then you can check it. So we're going to read from a moment, uh, in a moment, from Acts 20. And the reason I think I'm coming to this sermon with particular energy and passion is partly because there has been some controversy around the life of this church and the conference that is being running here next Saturday, the Living Out Conference, which is dealing with matters of human sexuality. Next Saturday, right here, it's not been without some controversy. And if you've been following national news, the bishops, the College of Bishops, have been releasing various different statements through this week on this issue. And it makes me want to come back to base, this stuff, and think again, what is my calling? What is my, what is my vocation? Who am I called to be? What am I called to do as a Christian, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus? We've got to get those things right up in front and center before we start even thinking and maybe about some of these things. So let's get back to it. We've been running with this series on vocation, 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 vocation. Linda's been preaching, June's been preaching, so it's my turn to have a crack at it. And we're going to have a look at a, this verse, I'm going to show you in Acts 20, it's verse 24, is the kind of verse that makes me really excited to be a Christian. When I read it, I'm like, yes, that's it. That's it. So we're going to centre on verse 24, but I'll give you a little bit of context. Okay, so it's Acts 20. I think it will come up on the screens as well. Acts 20, and we're going to read from verse 22. I'll give you a chance to just flash that up. And it's, we've got quite an elderly Apostle Paul at this stage. <clears throat> He's done two tours around the Mediterranean at this stage. He's been three years in a place called Ephesus teaching, preaching, encouraging there, and he's heading back to Jerusalem for the last time, and he's speaking to, him, to the Ephesian elders. He gets them together, and he says this. Let me read you from verse 22. He says to the elders, and now, compelled by the Spirit, 
I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. And here it is, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. There we are. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right, verse 24. Can we just take a tiny bit off this mic? It's just ringing ever so slightly. Is that possible? Here's what Paul's saying, verse 24. And one that Christians down the millennia have restated a million different ways. And I hope we can restate it for ourselves too. Okay. He says, Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I reckon, it's an interesting way he's kind of piled up the words there. He's saying, I'm reckoning my life. I'm thinking about my life Here's how I'm estimating my own life. Um, Worth nothing to me. So Paul would say, my goal is not to advance my ambitions and dreams. It's not to satisfy the longings and desires of my body. It's not even to protect and preserve my welfare. It's not even to stay alive. Right, he says elsewhere, we know Paul's words from elsewhere, don't we? To live is Christ, to die is gain. So he's not even bothered about preserving his own life. If you ever go on that, back in school days, or maybe if you've gone on like um, leadership training or something like that with work, you often see those Uh, diagrams, those hierarchies of needs. Do you know that Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Have you seen those things? And it kind of starts at the bottom with like the real basics of survival, food, um, like shelter, warmth, you know, that sort of thing. Then you go kind of one level up and it's security, like safety, you're not feeling threatened. Then one level up, it's kind of uh, you feel loved and a sense of belonging, that sort of thing. Then you feel honoured and admired and respected until eventually you get to the very top and you're kind of fulfilling your full potential, that sort of thing. You're self-actualizing at the very top of this pyramid of needs. Now, Paul's kind of going, see that, that bottom rung of survival? Not even that one, let alone the rest. <laughs> that bottom one, even that, is not of chief concern to me Rather, he goes on, verse 24, my only aim, the only thing I'm really bothered about is to stay on track, is to stay on course, is to finish the race, the task the Lord Jesus has given me, 
the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And on that, I really must not fail. Right? So it's as if he's saying, it would be tragic if I failed on that one. That would be bad. If I wasn't able or I couldn't do this thing. But if I don't make my life goals, and if I don't feel that sense of belonging, if I don't feel, you know, self-actualized, or I've reached my potential, or I've done various things, I've seen the Grand Canyon, you know, been seen the pyramids, all those kind of things. If I don't do those, that's not tragic. That's not bad. That's fine. So long as I get this thing done, complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, to do. I was going to spend quite a lot of time talking about um, a guy called Eric Little. You, you must have heard of him. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. You've seen Chariots of Fire? You've seen that film? Of course you have. Classic. And um, this guy, Eric Little, just to, just to give a modern example, just briefly, of uh, someone who kind of embodies these words. He was an Olympic athlete who uh, competed in the 1924 uh, Paris Olympic Games, that's right, didn't he? Uh, Scotsman, but didn't because he was more bothered about testifying to the good news of God's grace. He didn't run in the heats that he wanted to run in. He was 100 yards, it was 100 yards back then, 100 yard dash, 200 yard dash. He didn't run those races because he was more bothered about testifying to the goodness of God's grace. So he ended up running the 400 instead, broke the world record, won the whole thing, got the gold medal. Could have, from that moment on, continued on in his athletic career, could have done multiple Olympic Games, multiple gold medals, maybe run the 100, maybe run the 200 in subsequent years. Decided not to. Went back to China where he was born, right into the very east coast of China on the peninsula, not far from Beijing. Decided to be a missionary there, just like his father was, and to minister the gospel, the good news of God's grace to the people of that region. And then around about the 1940s, when the war, the Second World War was breaking out and there was a fighting between the Chinese and the Japanese, things were getting rough. He could have gone back with his family. He sent his whole family back to Canada when things got a little, di little difficult. He could have gone. But instead, he ended up testifying to the good news of the gospel of God's grace in an internment. He was, he was sort of uh, stuck in a camp there. So he ended up running Bible classes, uh, teaching the, the little children science. He, had, he was a science graduate, uh, doing sports, looking after the sick, helping the wounded, until he got a brain tumor and died. 1945, he was 43 years old. What an amazing life. So many points along the way, you could look at him and go, you can make a choice here to fulfill an incredible Olympic career or to do the whole family thing or to do just be safe. This guy chose to testify to the good news of God's grace. What a life. Don't you look at that? I look at that stuff. I look at the, the words of the Apostle Paul and the lives of people like Eric Little. 
And I'm like, what a life. I'd like some of that. I really would. Glorious. Glorious life. Now, let me just flesh this out just a tiny bit from the verses we've read, what this kind of life looks like. There's three, I've got three things just to pick up on from these verses. Um, And they go like this. Um, A life of zero assurances other than suffering. A life against the grain of normal human wisdom and a life captivated by the good news of God's grace. Let's just take those in turn. I want to just look at verse 22. This is what Paul says right before verse 24. This is verse 22. He's saying, this life offers me zero assurance apart from one thing. Let's have a look. And now he says, this is what he says, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, right, get this next bit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Don't know. What's going to happen when I get to Jerusalem? Don't know. No idea. Except, verse 23, the only thing I do know is that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. You see that? See, the Apostle Paul's like, going to Jerusalem, what assurances do I have in Jerusalem? Am I going to be safe? Will I have food? Uh, Will there be people there to look after me? Don't know. No idea. What can I be sure of? Um, Prison and hardships. Amazing, isn't it? Small group leaders, let me just speak for a moment to anyone running ministry in this church, small groups, teams, midweek Bible studies. This is Christianity 101. We say, don't we, to each other, like it's the first, it's top of the docket. Number one, you are loved beyond your wildest imagination, safe in the loving arms of God forever. Number two, this life we lead in Christ can guarantee you only one thing, suffering. That's the only thing you are guaranteed as a Christian. You will definitely know forever the eternal and everlasting loving arms of the Lord, and you'll suffer. 101, that is Christianity at its most basic, and it's taught so many times. Here we go. I've just piled them up here for us. Acts 14, 22. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Matthew 10, 25. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, Satan, how much more the members of his household. John 15, 20, back to the vine and the branches. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Matthew 5, 11, do you want me to keep going? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, Falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Thanks be to God. Give you another one, Philippians 1.25. And do this all day. For it has been granted you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Christianity 101. You're loved forever in the Father's arms, forgiven. Eternity with this living God, when he ushers in that new creation, you will be there. Number two, you are going to suffer. I give you no other guarantees, no other assurances, other than you're going to suffer. I love that verse of Paul. Let's just see it again. Going to Jerusalem. I don't know what will happen to me there. No idea. All I know is I'll face prison and hardships. So we don't stop running this race, do we? We don't run this race thinking there isn't going to be fire. There will be. This race and this testimony to God's grace involves fire. Second, it is a life in rejection of typical worldly ideals and wisdom. Let me show you where I see this, right? Verse 22, he says, let's just look at the verse again. Um, he uses the phrase, and now compelled by the Spirit, okay? Compelled by the Spirit, so he's moved Paul to go back to Jerusalem. He says, I'm going there and I don't know what's going to face me. Now just flick over, if you've got one of the church Bibles, just flick the page and have a look at uh, Acts chapter 21. Let's just go down to um, verse 12. No, 10. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, same guy, took his belt, um, tied his own hands and feet, right, so you can imagine this belt sort of, I don't know, he's sort of bound up with his with belt around his hands and feet. Um, and with it, uh, and, he, and he said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, speaking to Paul, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Right? So Agabus does this sort of prophetic act right in front of Paul, takes his belt, binds himself and goes, this is the way you're going to be treated. If you go to Jerusalem, this is how you're going to be treated. This is what they're going to do to you. Now notice Agabus doesn't say, don't go. He just says, look, this is what's coming. So the Spirit of God gives Paul two things. A real compulsion to go. We saw that back in chapter 20, verse 22. I am compelled, compelled by the Spirit. I've got to go. I've got to go to Jerusalem. That's the first thing. The second thing, and Paul already knows this, Agabus gives him this prophetic word, Spirit-inspired, you're going to be bound, Paul. You're going to be handed over to the Romans. That's what's coming. Then come the voices. Look at this, 21 verse 12. It's chapter 21 verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul, don't go up. Don't go up to Jerusalem. Don't do it. Don't do it. 
do it. Now, I can imagine, just, you know, heads up at this point, I can imagine that coming out in all sorts of different ways from friends, people close to Paul, who might have said to him, this guy's like 50, Paul's probably about 50 at this stage, they might have said, look, Paul, you've done a really good job. You've been two massive journeys around Asia Minor. You can, you can just ease off now. You've, you've done a great job. Just chill. Let Timothy do it. Right? You had an apprentice. This is a young man's game, Paul. Why don't you let Timothy do it? He's up for it. He's eager. Let him go. Send him. Your eyes, right? Paul had bad eyesight. Your eyes are failing, Paul. Your health is not good. You need to, listen, I've got this great place. It's on the Aegean Sea. Go there. You're good at writing letters. Write your letters. Do that. It's safe up there. My auntie will look after you. She'll give you food. You write your letters. You've got an amazing letter ministry. Do that. Don't go to Jerusalem. That's crazy. That is crazy. You will be handed over. They are waiting for you. Verse 13, then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded or dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Now, it's powerful, this. It's powerful. He was compelled by the Spirit. I'm just putting these verses side by side for us to see it. Compelled by the Spirit. Here was a man who was determined to go to Jerusalem. He was also being told, he knew himself, and he was being told, this is going to mean suffering for you, Paul. Right? And at the same time, there are going to be voices that tell you, don't do it. Don't do it. Of course there is. Your own family may say those things. Don't waste your life. You've got a, you know, I don't know what they're saying. You've got a great job. You have got a university degree. Think about your children. Have you looked, have you sorted out your pension? Um, you need to, you need to make sure that you've got a house. You need to make sure that you've put some security in for the future. That's what you need to do. It all sounds extremely plausible and sensible. But running the race for Christ, compelled by the Spirit, will run counter in the opposite direction of that kind of wisdom. It will look to our friends and our family like madness. It will look mad. They will say, you are very stupid, careless, reckless for doing such things. Take the low road. Avoid it. Don't do that. Do something else. There's loads of ways. There's loads of ways you can serve the Lord. There's heaps. There's just bunch. There's a whole bunch of ways you can be a faithful Christian. Do it like that. 
So it runs counter, quite typical to run counter to the wisdom and values of those around us. But finally, it is a life captivated by this good news of God's grace. And if you're a Christian today, you know that. You know those words of Jesus, don't you? You lose your life, you gain it. Matthew 16, 25, Jesus said, no one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions. Jesus throws it in again. That wasn't one of my examples from earlier. Right, there it is again. Uh, you will definitely be persecuted. And in the age to come, Jesus says, eternal life. That's yours. That is yours. Safe. Forever. Paul talks about running a race here. There's only one other place he does that. Uh, he says, I've got to finish this course. I've got to complete the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He does it in one other place. It's to Timothy. And he says it like this. He says, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So here's, here's what's in Paul's mind that needs to be in our mind too. There is a day coming. There is a day coming at the end of this race when the Lord is, is lined up a crown and he wants to place it on your head. It's not, it's not really because of anything that we've done. In fact, it's despite everything we've done, all our faults and failures. And he says, I want to put this, this crown, this approval, this crown of righteousness on your head. Because of Jesus, because of everything that he is and all that he's done for you, I want to give you this crown and say, well done. Welcome forever into an eternity forever with me, God's new creation for God's time forever and ever. That's the crown, an undeserved crown. And that's the good news, isn't it? That's what we're like. That is such good news. That is so what I don't deserve. And yet the Lord will give me that at the end of all of this. That, I'm, that is captivating. It takes hold of my life. It takes hold of me. What more would I want to live for than talking about that? What God has done for me. How would that, just think for a moment, how might that the news of that great day, what will happen then, shape the decisions, small and large, that we make right now. Cast our mind back. I know we're sort of way into January now, but we're thinking back over 2022. I don't know what happened for us back in 2022, what, what we were doing, what we were up to, but here we are, the start of a new year, 
with fresh opportunity to hit the reset button and go, all right, here's that verse, 2024. I'm going to count my life. My life, I want to follow these words of the Apostle Paul as I trust in Jesus. My life's worth nothing to me. Nothing. Except that I run this race. He can hit the reset button. The beginning of a new year and go, yeah, that's what I want. That is what I want. That. That kind of life. One thing I was asked to do before I um, was ordained in the Church of England, you have to go off on this kind of selection conference. A few of us have done this kind of thing. And one of the questions on that conference was, it's slightly unusual, it was, um, what is it, what do you want to be on your gravestone or something like that? Or what do you want said about you at your funeral? You had about 30 seconds to answer the question. You had to just give an on-the-spot answer. Uh, but it is a good question, right? What is it you would like said? What do you want? What would be the one thing? It's got to be truthful that you would want to be said over your life at its end. Let me read what was said over this guy's life. This is what was said at Eric Little's funeral. I commend it to you. This was the Reverend Arnold Bryson. Of all the men I have known, Eric Little was one in whose character and life the spirit of Jesus Christ was preeminently manifested. What was the secret of his consecrated life and far-reaching influence? An absolute surrender to God's will as revealed in Jesus Christ. His was a life controlled by God, and he followed his master and Lord with a devotion that never flagged and with an intensity of purpose that made men see both the reality and power of true religion. With St. Paul, Eric could say, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Let me summarize. Powerful verse, Acts 20, 24. It's maybe what Paul, when he was thinking about the vine and the branches, been saying that verse all morning maybe when he was riffing on that kind of idea he thought to himself my life's worth nothing i don't need all that stuff i don't need even the basics so long as i have one thing as long as i can run this race as long as i can testify to the goodness of god's grace i don't know what's coming next i literally don't know he says I don't know what's coming up in Jerusalem. I know one thing that the Lord has guaranteed me, suffering and hardships. Prison, hardships, trials. That's guaranteed. I'm going to go and do that. I am compelled to do that, he says, by the Spirit. I might be bound. I know everyone around me is going to say I'm nuts. I'm going anyway. And I'm doing it because I'm so captivated by the good news of this crown of glory that one day the Lord's going to place on my head though I don't deserve it in any way, shape or form. That news has gripped me. It's taken hold of my life. I'm compelled by the Spirit to do these things. Everyone thinks I'm nuts. I'm going to do it anyway. Could that be the kind of words 
that sit over the top of your life, my life, that kind of vocation, that kind of radical call to follow Jesus, no matter what the cost. 2023. Let's pray together. I'm going to pray a prayer of Augustine written hundreds of years ago. This is what he said. I am seeking, I am hesitant, and I am uncertain. But will you, O God, watch over each step of mine and guide me in your way? Loving Lord Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves to you afresh at the beginning of this new year. We hear that call. It's a solemn call, but it's a worthy one. It's deep, it's profound, it's all-encompassing, but it's a captivating call to follow you no matter what the cost. Come to us, Lord Jesus, we pray. Compel us, Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that compelled Paul and countless Christians down the millennia to testify to the good news of your grace. May that same spirit work in us. Make us that same kind of Christian people as we journey together in the way of Christ. And we pray in his name's sake.